Our main passage this morning is in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 10. And it's a passage that touches on priorities. Priorities basically is choosing which things matter most to do. Every single one of us have the same number of hours in a day. We have the same number of days in a year, but certainly not all of us will turn out to have the same number of years in our life. And we make choices every single hour what we are going to do with the time that God has given to us. Priorities is choosing which of those things is more important than another and making sure to do the more important thing. Making sure to do the more important thing. And so sometimes that's a decision between, say, playtime and prayer time, between devotions and things that you could be doing for people. All of these things are good. They have their place, but they also have to be rightly ordered. And the passage that we're looking at highlights the highest priority. Not my opinion, but in our text, Jesus is going to say, this is what really matters. And so the Holy Spirit is calling you to identify what matters most and to organize your life around that. He's not saying nothing else matters, but this stands at the very top. So let's hear a story from the Gospel of Luke where Jesus is entering a village and he comes to visit some people. Luke 10 verse 38 says, Now as the disciples went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Let's ask the Lord to especially bless our consideration, our time in the word. Father in heaven, we come before your word and we ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, that we would receive from him the voice of Christ in and with your scriptures. We pray that you would make us a responsive people, that you would order our priorities and reorder them, Lord. We stray like sheep, but you are a shepherd. Bring us back in order that we might give you the glory that you deserve and share in the joy of it. For in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. It is very difficult. I don't think I can emphasize to you quite the experience that Mary and Martha had on that day when Jesus visits them. Jesus is not obviously just somebody. Even then, what Mary and Martha knew made him out to be the most important person, not just that they would ever meet in their life, but as far as they were concerned, whoever existed. They were aware that the Old Testament had been speaking for centuries and centuries that God was going to send someone who would save sinners from the wrath of God forever. This is an important person. And not only that, this person is going to be king over all creation. This person was going to be the greatest prophet who has the words of life. This person is going to be the true priest 
who's able to reconcile people to God. And then John the Baptist singles out Jesus and says, this is that man. And Jesus is teaching all throughout the land and huge crowds are coming to him. Think about the way that even today, people will flock to meet some minor, minor celebrity. Jesus is hugely famous. And not only that, the stories are spreading that he's healing people. Mary and Martha's own brother is raised from the dead. The weight of who Jesus is cannot be overemphasized. And what does that mean for Mary and Martha when Jesus, who wasn't telling people his itinerary, is just going where the Spirit is leading him. He's making choices so they don't know he's coming to their town. Jesus comes to their town and, in fact, wants to stay somewhere and teach. How would you feel if, really, try to imagine this, one of your homes became the home where Jesus wanted to lead a study that day? It's one thing to be invited to a study. It's another thing the Lord, the King, the Savior, God in the flesh wants to come to my home. So what would you do? Naturally, it says Mary and Martha welcome him. But from that point, they make some very different decisions. And those decisions highlight different priorities. And the Holy Spirit, through the word here, wants to bring you back to a right sense of priorities and encourage you to walk in that way. What comes to pass here? Mary chooses to sit at the feet of Jesus. Martha chooses to serve. Martha prioritizes serving Jesus above sitting at the feet of Jesus. Understand in the first place, it tells us in verses 38 through 40, when Jesus comes in, everyone else gets seated to listen. Martha, according to the text, is the only person we're aware of who's still busy serving. Everyone else takes a seat. Now, the fact that they take a seat is significant. In that culture, very few people had chairs. In fact, all the way up to the high Middle Ages, chairs were relatively rare in any common person's home. This is a luxury that you have right here, that you can carry chairs with you and bring them. Typically, there were cushions in a home, and probably Mary and Martha weren't expecting as many guests as came anyway, people would take a seat on the floor and the teacher would remain standing or the teacher would get the chair. When Jesus gave his first sermon, it tells us that he sat after he read the scripture. Everyone else in all likelihood is seated. That's not just because who knows how long the person's gonna speak and it's more comfortable to sit. It was also a posture of humility. It's a way of saying, I need to receive what is being given here. In Acts chapter 22, verse 3, the Apostle Paul says that he sat at the feet of Gamaliel, a famous scholar and Jewish teacher. Paul sat at the feet of Gamaliel, and he's not talking about literally, of course, all the time sitting right at his feet. He's saying, I studied under him. Everyone in the house takes a seat, and they're now listening. But Mary, by contrast, is very busy with her service. In fact, verse 40 says, she was distracted with much serving. That word distracted here makes it clear she's not even listening to what's being taught. I can imagine, of course, that at church, there are people who serve, but who try not to be distracted during a service. We have security, we have ushers, we have people working sound, we have people playing piano. Here, Mary is distracted. She's not even listening to what Jesus is saying. Now, why did she, I said Mary, Martha, why does Martha prioritize the serving above the sitting to listen? Why do you think? 
if Jesus was in your home, why might you be very busy serving rather than listening? I can think of a few reasons that are possibilities, but one seems more likely. One possibility is it does say it was her house. And she feels responsible to ensure that all of Jesus' needs are being met. And the fact that Jesus will later talk about the portion Mary chose might mean that Martha is busy with a meal. She's trying to make sure that there's food for everybody. It could be that. It's her house, and she wants to make sure that everybody is taken care of, and that's admirable, of course. A second reason is that this was probably what was expected by society. We know from other writings of rabbis who lived in that time, some people went so far as to feel that it was wrong to grant a woman a place at studying the word, to allow them to hear the teaching. That really, you ought to just have them over there making a comfortable environment for the men to learn the word. And so Mary or Martha could have felt that this is just, this is my role, this is what I do. But there's one thing Jesus says here that suggests what is really at the root. Listen carefully. Verse 41, the Lord answers her, Martha, Martha. And the fact that he uses her name twice, there's definitely an emphasis. We don't know the tone, but he wants her attention. It's like even in that moment, she's not listening. She feels she needs to go and do something else. Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Her service is is probably coming from a root of insecurity that the Lord is satisfied with her. She's worried that she's going to be found unworthy. And of course, this makes a lot of sense to our flesh. The most important person comes to your home. You want to make sure, you know, what if, what if he doesn't like what I've done? He's a very important guest. You notice star treatment happen at times. People have a just because they're celebrities, somehow they're treated especially well. And she wants to make sure that Jesus is treated very, very well. But it's rooted in fear and anxiety that the Lord would actually want her to sit at his feet. She doesn't feel welcomed to his feet. Now that's contrasted with what Mary does. Mary prioritizes sitting at Jesus' feet to hear the word, to hear the gospel. She prioritizes that above even serving Jesus. There's something about that that might strike you as, yeah, that is wrong. Serving Jesus is more important than sitting at Jesus' feet to hear from him. However, that is not what the Lord says. Notice Martha comes up and criticizes Mary's choice in verse 40. Martha went to Jesus and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister's left me to do all the service alone? Tell her then to help me. And sometimes we adopt that attitude if we're busy serving the Lord in different ways and we see somebody else who's inactive, it's tempting to automatically assume that they are doing something wrong rather than asking, what are they doing? And here, Jesus not only defends, but he commends, he praises the choice that Mary made. And this is to indicate to you, Jesus wants you to make a similar choice as what Mary made here, to prioritize. He's not saying don't serve, that there's no time to serve. But here he's saying the priority is on sitting at his feet to hear the word of grace. That comes first. Jesus says this is the one thing necessary and that she has chosen it. Not that service is insignificant, but one thing is 
necessary. I want you to consider the wisdom of Mary's priorities. Why was it good for her? Why was it essential for her to do that even above serving Jesus? I think we can connect it to at least three things. First, choosing to sit at the feet of Jesus expressed the hunger that she had for what he only could offer. She had a hunger for the word that Martha was not demonstrating. This might be Martha's one opportunity to hear from Jesus himself, hear his preaching. What I would do to be able to travel back in time and to know the language well enough to spend one hour listening to Jesus in the flesh, teaching and preaching. And here's Martha's shot. She doesn't even realize what she has, but Mary has a hunger. Jesus says to Martha, verse 42, one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. I'm not taking this away. She's chosen the good portion. And the word portion here is a food word. It's the, the amount that you are given to eat, to receive, to be nourished by. And here you have implicitly of Martha who thinks that her nourishment will come by service. First and foremost, Mary thinks her nourishment, her health, her vigor, her life must come through sitting at the feet of Jesus and hearing his message of grace. Psalm 16 verse 5 gives us some insight into this word where it says, the Lord himself is my chosen portion. Which one of you boys has ever looked at a couple different pieces of meat or a few different pieces of dessert on the table and you've got siblings and you say, that one's mine. Your chosen portion. You want the big piece, the best piece. David says, the Lord is my chosen portion. The Lord is my cup. Mary understands that what she's receiving through Jesus' teaching is not just data about God. It's not just lessons about God. She's receiving God himself who's nourishing her, who's showing her who he is. She's seeking through Jesus' teaching to commune with God himself. You see this reflected similarly in the words of the apostles. They were disciples at the time, but where Jesus says to Peter, are you guys gonna leave me too? And Peter says, who else has the words of life? They see that there is nourishment in what Jesus is teaching. And so I put it to you, when you think about your priorities at the top of the list, do you feel hunger to have God himself? To have God himself and to have him through the word. Is there anything else that you think can come before that? Secondly, it expresses humility. Humility. This is not what maybe you expect. Humility, of course, is putting yourself in your right position, in a lower position, willingly, from where maybe you otherwise would. Martha seems like the humble person here because she's busy running around serving. Mary's relaxing. So how can this be humility? But here's the thing. By putting herself at the feet of Jesus to receive the word of the Lord, Mary is expressing something important, something that you express or don't express every single day and every single Lord's day. She's making a statement that she needs what Jesus can give her more than Jesus needs what she can give him. 
you need communion with God. I need communion with God infinitely more than the Lord needs anything that you could do for him. God is not needy. He enjoys using people's talents and gifts. But you are needy. You are needy. The fact that you have any faith today is only because you are a recipient. You've received from the Holy Spirit. And she's demonstrating that she has a need for what is being given by Jesus. And then last of all, what she does expresses trust. Trust. Remember, Martha is anxious and troubled, and she's worried, will Jesus be pleased with her unless she does enough and she can't stop doing? By contrast, Mary demonstrates faith when she places herself at the feet of Jesus. She believes Jesus wants her to hear these things. And she had had some examples already. We read throughout the Gospels that both men and women traveled with Jesus. And he preached to all of them because all souls need Christ. You see him speak to Gentiles. You see him speak to Jews. You see him to speak to young and you see him carry the old. He, taught, he speaks with the leper. He speaks with the healthy. Everyone needs what Jesus has, but not everyone felt welcome. Mary believes Christ will welcome me. And she's getting that from what he's saying. That's not just she had faith out of nowhere. She hears what he's saying and she believes it. She believes that she's welcome. And for those reasons, her priority is a better priority to sit and to receive from Jesus. But here's the irony of it all. Somebody might think that sitting at the feet of Jesus is not service and it's a waste of time. I've known in the Maybe you've heard of this too. I'm, I'm not going to hide from you, young boys, that there, there are churches in our city and throughout the nation who have increasingly made a habit of canceling Sunday service, canceling the preaching of the word so that they can go out and do service projects. Jesus served, but more than once in the gospel, we read that he intentionally leaves a place where he's being absorbed in service so that he can keep preaching too. And it's the receiving of the grace of God through the word that forms the basis for our service because that's what turns it into gratitude and being empowered by the Holy Spirit. The irony is that those who abide most at Christ's feet are those who serve the most. Those who listen the most will lead the most. They are not against each other. Hear what John chapter 15 says. Jesus is speaking. John 15, Jesus says, Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And that fruit there are the fruits of the spirit and also the service that connects to those. He says, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Without the inward work of the Holy Spirit transforming and empowering us, you won't do anything that's actually spiritual. You can go out into the world and do all kinds of service, but it won't be unto God and it won't be for his glory because it's just gonna be a demonstration of your own natural sinful strength. But then Jesus says in verse seven, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Jesus here is not saying that if you ask for, you know, a, a Lamborghini, you're going to get it. The context here is asking for the growth 
that enables you to bear much fruit. That if anyone abides in the word of God, so they put themselves in the path of his promises, and then they believe that he's going to produce fruit, he will, because by this my father is glorified. The irony is that those who sit before Christ first will be first in service. That's the irony. Those who sit before Christ first will be first in service. And Martha didn't get that. I want to describe to you a little bit about how I saw this in a life. I think most of you, if not all of you, are aware that just this past Tuesday was my dad's funeral. I saw this lived out in what my dad went through. So at my dad's funeral, practically everyone who spoke all described the same thing. They all pointed out, oh, John is known for joy. He was just a joyful, joyful man and a servant. And I think what people need to understand above all was that that was not natural to my dad. That was a supernatural byproduct of abiding in the word for a long time, seeking to abide with Christ and to experience his love. When my dad was born until the time that he was 20, he, nobody would have pegged him for a saint or spiritually interested. He made a lot of bad choices by the time that he was 20. I won't even describe some of them. They're everything you should not do. Uh, and he did them. And he didn't show any interest in the Lord. But when he was 20, he turned on the TV one night, no plans for what happened, and he heard a sermon and in the sermon, the Holy Spirit cut him to the heart and he believed that he was a sinner and that he needed a savior. But then the preacher talked about the need for repentance and submitting to Christ. And my dad said, basically, not yet. He didn't understand that the Holy Spirit will produce everything we need as well. And so he wasn't trusting in Christ to produce the repentance too. And so from age 20 to age 35 or so, my dad was very, very busy establishing his career, establishing his family, establishing his hobbies. If he would have died at 35, a lot of people would have said he had a great life. He had a good marriage by then. He had a lot of kids. He had a nice home. He had a stellar career. He was admired by his friends. But he would say that if he had died, then he would have died a poor man. Because he didn't know Christ, the one thing that is necessary. He would have had a brief, glowing time of personal pleasure, followed by being separated from God forever. Then the Lord granted that my dad should be drawn to him through a disease. My dad had a very severe disease that he first contracted, so far as we know, when he was about 35. And the Lord used that to humble my dad and to teach him dependence. From age 35 to age 46, this was the time when my dad was busy serving the Lord. My dad came to faith and he came in like a wrecking ball of service. He was leading Bible studies. He was taking me out to evangelize most nights of the weekend down on the street. He would have people into his home anytime. He was just serving, serving the Lord on top of being the vice president of a fairly big company. And being an elder, he was an elder for 17 years. He was no time serving the Lord. At age 46, really his disease began to take a bigger toll on him. And for the next five years, he had many of the things that used to bring him pleasure and a sense of who he was taken away. It was during that time that he lost his ability to do his earthly job. 
He lost his ability to teach publicly and to speak. He couldn't speak clearly anymore, let alone stand up. He lost his mobility. So imagine if you really couldn't get around at all. He lost the ability to feed himself with his own hands. All these different things were being taken away from my dad. Now, previously, my dad had been in the Bible, as far as we thought, because a guy who's that busy has maybe a half an hour a day. But if you use that half an hour every day, you get a lot of Bible. And if you use Sunday well, you get a lot of Bible. But it was during this period of five years that my dad came to a realization that now that he had all this time on his hands, he actually wasn't nearly as interested in communing with the Lord and the word as he thought. Because so much of what had driven him before was a desire to get the word in order to give it to someone else, not to commune with Christ as an end, not just to know God and Christ. I would liken it to this. Imagine that, you know, you're at your house and a big truck shows up and it's loaded with bags of grain and they unload the grain and you get to work. You take the grain and you put it into a grinder and you're grinding out the grain and then you bake bread and you give it to people. That's what my dad was like for 10 years of his life, which was good. He was feeding people. He was taking the sermons that he was hearing. He was taking the Bible he was reading. He was taking whatever books he knew, and he was grinding out the word and giving it to people. He was baking bread and feeding the masses. My dad must have talked to 10,000 people in those 10 years about the Lord. But now the analogy starts to shift and he realizes that he can't go out and do the things that he once did. And he doesn't desire to be in the Bible nearly as much as he thought. He grows bored. I won't ask for a show of hands. Have you ever tried to actually read the Bible for a length of time and grown bored? Let's be a, yeah, I see at least one honest person. Uh, Yeah, because we're flesh and we're weak. What makes the Bible come alive is the Holy Spirit working and speaking in you as you read. What does the voice of the Holy Spirit sound like? It sounds like the words on the page being faithful but it sounds like them coming to you in strength and power. So it's not a different meaning, but it's the meaning reverberating into you where you are moved by the spirit. My dad wasn't experiencing that very much and he felt very guilty in this time and I wasn't helping. I had moved back in with him after he had lost a lot of his mobility and I was, I had just come to a, a, a powerful sense of the gospel myself in the sense of justification, but I was not a good encourager. I basically told him like, dad, I was 20, completely had no clue the hard things he was going through. And I'd say, dad, people, other Christians would dream to have the amount of time that you have to be in the word. Why don't you spend more time in the Bible? And I just used guilt to get him to try to read. My dad had the humility to say, it's true, I should be. Because he was just watching a lot of TV, tons of TV, not horrible things, but he was just bored. He had 16 hours awake. Would you read the Bible for 16 hours? Who would ever do that? But he would get bored and feel bad. And then during that five-year period, he began to have a kind of epiphany. Problem with an epiphany, a, a realization is you can't just give it to someone else. You can describe it and hope that maybe they'll seek it. My dad began to read that passage in John 15, where it says that ask whatever you desire and it will be done for you. My dad began to ask the Lord, give me a greater appetite for your presence. Give me a greater appetite for communion with you. 
Give me a greater hunger for the word. And he began to do that. And this was the part that was an epiphany. He started to actually believe God is going to do it. I don't know when, I don't know how, but if I'm alive, I am to believe he will because he promised he will. And he went from hoping that he would grow to believing I am going to grow. Most Christians operate at a level that is so far beneath that. They're genuine believers in terms of the forgiveness they have, their future hope and glory, but they don't believe I am going to grow because God has said that all who trust in him will. My dad started to believe that, but then he had a second stage where he said, well, if I'm, if I'm going to grow, I have to put myself in the path of growth. And he started to read the Bible more. I am not telling you that you should feel guilty if you don't read the Bible three, five, eight hours a day. Everybody has a different amount of time entrusted to them, and God can take a few fish and feed a whole crowd. He can take a little bit of bread and multiply it. If all you have is this time, the question is your priority. Not just are you seeking data to go out and do something with, but are you seeking grace from Christ, communion with Christ in the time that you have? And my dad put himself in the face of the word and he began to read the Bible more. This was over a period of two years. He started to read the Bible for, first it was maybe five chapters a day and then it became 10 chapters a day. And by the time that I was at the end of seminary, he would routinely read the entire book of Revelation every single day, the entire book of Hebrews every single day. This is about four or five hours of listening. He did it largely by audio because he couldn't really hold a Bible then. And he would just, he wasn't listening necessarily to do anything out there. He was just trying to understand who God is. Here's the irony. It's this period in my dad's life that everyone remembers of him being in a sense, the most effective he ever was, the most fruitful. John 15 says, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. And then Jesus says, I say this in order that your joy may be full. My dad's joy didn't come from the amount of service he did. It didn't come from his career. It didn't even come ultimately from his family. His joy came from just dwelling in the sense, what have I been delivered from at what cost and unto what privilege? How have I been loved? Do you grasp even a little bit. I'm speaking to you younger guys. It didn't hit me till way older. But do you grasp that if your trust is in Jesus Christ, God has ordained to you that one day you are going to reign over the earth. What we shall be makes what we are now look like just flies. The glory that is held out to you and the sense of purpose that you've been united with Christ. You receive those things as you dwell with the Lord in the word. And that's what the Lord is calling you to in this passage, not to avoid service, but to root your service for Christ in having sat at his feet. That's not something you do once. That's something you do a portion of every day. Do you eat every day? Mary chose the good portion. Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from God. I challenge you, there should never be a day that you are free of the word of God. It'll look different on different days. It doesn't mean that every single day you have Bible study time. But every day you are hiding the word in your heart. You're thinking of the word. And you do that not, first of all, for what you can do out there, but for what needs to happen in here. I leave you with this. I told you that my dad, it was like he was taking the grain and grinding it out. It was in those last 10 years that there was a shift in the analogy, the whole picture. It was in those 10 years that I think it was more like he understood that he was God's tree. He needed to grow 
he needed to have the word watered into him and he needed to bear fruitfulness, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control of a spiritual sort. The analogy shifts to where the growth is in you, but where that growth is, you can't hide it. If you want a life that glorifies God most, start with the humility, start with the hunger, start with the trust that God will meet you in communion. He'll meet you in the word. That's what I bring before you in in hopes, in all sincerity, that over the next year, when we meet back for Cadet Campout, that we see growth. And it's gradual. It's gradual. It's a lifetime. But that we would long for it. And that in a year from now, we would encourage one another and say, yeah, that's what I wanted this year. And I've had it in this way. Let's ask the Lord to bless us in that even now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness to us and having given to us a Savior who loves us and welcomes us to receive words of grace. We thank you that freely he put himself in our position to suffer all the consequences, the judgment of sin. We thank you that any suffering we have in this life is for our growth, that you ordain these things in order to teach us the value of godliness and the hope of deliverance. We ask, Lord, that you would please help us to rightly order our lives. No one of us does so, Lord, but by your grace, we ask to do so better. For your honor, we ask all of this in Jesus' name, amen.